Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 170 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be discussing skiing in Roccarazzo in the Italian Apennine Mountains, uh, La Plan, uh, and further afield, take a look at skiing in Japan. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm delighted to have with us, I think for her third time on the podcast, I'm not really too sure, is uh, Jen Sang based out in La Plan. How are you today, Jen? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Is there possibly some snow falling out the window? Uh, Sadly not, no. It did start falling yesterday um, and I was hoping that it was going to be set in because it looked like really good snowfall, Um, but it died off quite quickly and the sun has come back out again today. But the clouds are still circling and it is on the forecast. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, Also with us today, we have a regular on the show, uh, Mike Richards. I think he was last on in episode 165 when we were discussing Medissimo. Uh, And today you're joining us from Japan, Mike. Hi, Ian. Great to be back on the show. Uh, Coming to you live from Nisigo in Hokkaido in northern Japan. Excellent. Is there there any snow out your window? I think it's probably seven o'clock in the evening by now, isn't it? It's seven o'clock in the evening, but you can see it in the streetlights. We've had uh, about a meter in the last week. <laughs> Making us very jealous. Right. Well, uh, get question I always ask uh, uh, my guests is, when did you last ski or snowboard? Given that you're both living in ski resorts, I'm imagining it's very recent. But go on, Jen, tell us when you were last out on snow. Yeah, yesterday. So I went <laughs> out for a quick run yesterday um I've been sticking to the lunchtime slots because it's been so busy with like the February half term holidays but I went out earlier yesterday and I just hit massive queues um like 10 or 15 minute queues so I just did one quick run and headed home um and actually the piste was still pretty empty once I was up there and riding it was just the queuing to get up there uh, which took the edge off it but the lunchtime spots have been really quiet like empty piece no queue straight onto chairlift okay and just so, to clarify yeah. then that queue that you're talking about to get up on the mountain where is that um from and to i can't recall which bit of la plan you live in so i was in plan center so i dropped i dropped my kids off at judo and then i run uh, in my ski gear up to the grand rochette bubble lift which is right in the middle of plan center so it is really one of the feeder lifts where you're going to get everywhere else um and I just hit it at the same time as all the ski school drop-offs and things so it was like 10 o'clock in the morning so it was peak busy time okay okay interesting and uh Mike I'm guessing you were maybe skiing today perhaps in your time (laughs) yes I was had a fabulous morning uh in uh, Nisiko area I don't ski locally a lot but uh, I went to the peak and uh, it was great snow 
Cool. Right. Well, you make us very jealous. We'll come back on to uh, Japan later on. I have got a couple of snow reports from different people that we're going to drop in now. We've got one from uh, Andy Butterworth from Kaluma Ski in St. Anton. Uh, also, Dave Burrows from out in Switzerland and, and out and about. So let's have a listen to those. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. It's Andy in St. Anton with a mid-season update. I say update rather than snow report as there's not that much snow to actually report on. Um, technically, that's a lie. What we do have is great. There's just not that much of it. If I look at it as a season as a whole so far, in a comparison to last season, it's not really comparable. We don't have as much snow. Last winter, from, from my memory, we had a great December um, and a really good bumper January. We just haven't had that great December or bumper January this year going into 2023 into February and if I remember everything correct last year if I get my dates right we had really warm weather and the Sahara sand certainly coinciding with the UK half term I remember everything being this beautiful red glow over the mountains as the Sahara sand dumped this sort of red red mist of sand over over the whole of the Alberg region and indeed most of the Alps which was quite spectacular to look at, but not great for the snow. It, it warmed everything up and it definitely helped with the melting of the snow in February. We haven't had the Sahara sands this year, but we've had Sahara-like weather. It's been up in the sort of like plus 10s and above on the mountain, um, which hasn't been ideal. It kind of makes it spring skiing in the middle of February. So if you like long morning skiing, long lunches on a sun terrace, it's the perfect weather for you. Ideal skiing, in fact. If you come for a week's holiday or a weekend's holiday, as many of the guests over here seem to be doing these days, there's definitely enough to ski on. Great mornings, well-prepared piece, lovely firm in the morning, freezing overnight, uh, but does get a bit slushy by sort of like mid-afternoon, making the home runs a little bit tricky. <clears throat> That's not to say um, the skiing isn't great. Certainly some of the touring uh, and the backcountry stuff is fantastic. Um, more sort of like fern snow which is the spring snow that we're kind of used to over here in the Austrian side of the Alps um, which is just when the sun sort of hits the hits the snow and starts warming it up uh, sort of late morning time it becomes that sort of like soft on top but crunchy underneath and if you're willing to put the skins on and go for a tour or, or a boot pack and hike somewhere you can still find some really nice skiing the worry, of course, for everyone is what it might be like at Easter. Um, but again, if I compare back to last year, we didn't have that much snow forecast or in, indeed dumped at all in February 2022. But it did dump at the end of February and going into March, which set us up nicely for the rest of the season. There isn't a great deal of snow on the forecast going ahead, but what there is is enough to certainly give, it, give itself a nice color, uh, covering, make everything white again and certainly lift the mood for everyone coming out you know, in March and, and, and towards Easter time. Bookings across the whole season have been really good. People have been really happy. The resort's been really busy, especially at the moment, which is into the Austrian sort of fashing, the carnival time. Um, resort is really jumping, really pumping. Slopes are pretty busy. And everyone seems to be enjoying themselves and, and skiing what there is to ski at the moment. Um, everything's open. The whole of the Alberg uh, is, is thriving. Everyone seems happy. We would just be happier if there was a big dump on the forecast and there was a bit more snow coming into, into March. But as it goes, season of the whole has been really good, been some great skiing um, and been some lovely weather. So long may that continue. Hope everyone's well and we hope to see you on the slope sometime soon. Cheers.
Hi Ian, it's Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School. I uh, hope you're all doing well out there in uh, ski podcast land. Um, listen to this. That is the sound of rain falling on the top of my house. And outside there is like clouds and everything. And for once in like the last, must be at least a month, I can't see completely blue sky and no no clouds. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, I know for a fact, so I live here at like 19, uh, about 900 meters. Uh, I know for a fact that it's already snowing uh, a bit higher. And this is, well, it's extraordinary. I haven't seen the sky like this for ages. Um, I've been in, enjoying, uh, let me see, I've been skiing in Villa, I've been skiing in the Porte de Soleil on the Swiss side, and I've been enjoying some of the best um, sort of peace conditions that we've had for ages. And we've been really lucky with this kind of period of, of sort of massive high pressure that's just been sitting over us for such a long time that the temperatures have really, really been cold. So I'm looking out over the valley now, and it's still on the north side. Um, it's still sort of a bit snowy um on the south side where i am it's all a little bit green but um but yeah i mean the conditions are amazing and i think that's the biggest change over the last 10 years is how the ski resorts have sort of managed the snow so even when we get periods like this the piece is still in really good condition what's the matter cat what are you doing are you making a special guest appearance on the podcast huh no just run off miserable cat anyway uh no special guests from me this week but just to let you know uh, the conditions have been absolutely brilliant here um all right there isn't much sort of off-piste uh skiing to be had that kind of thing but um the piece conditions have been great and there is still plenty of snow um on the piece despite uh what you might hear um conditions are, are, are certainly good enough for the vast majority of people that, that, that visit the region so uh there you go i'm gonna continue to look out the window and um you know, see what comes down. And, uh, and yeah, maybe you'll hear from me in a couple of weeks. I'm off to um, Lathwheel in the Aosta Valley, uh, I think, next week or the week after. So maybe you'll hear from me from there as well. But, um, no, so no guest stars from me this week, just my cat and the noise of the rain on the roof. I uh, hope you're all well. Um, keep up the great work, Ian, as usual, and I will see you soon. Bye. Great. So that was really interesting to listen to those. And, uh, and Jen, just tell us, what are the piece like? What's your snow report for La Plan just now? Because we know there hasn't been a snow for quite a while now. No, so we haven't had snow since that really big fall. We had, what was it, early January, mid-January. And since then, apart from yesterday when the clouds rolled in, I think it's been blue skies and clear weather non-stop. The difference being throughout January and early Feb, it was freezing cold. So really, really cold, like minus 10 or so. And then in the last, what, in the last week, in the last 10 days, bang on half-term peak season, the temperatures just skyrocketed and it's been a lot, lot warmer here. Um, so the peaks are actually in amazing condition, considering that we haven't had snowfall for now coming up to a month and that it's been so warm combined with peak season skiing in the last week and when you had those cold temperatures, were the cannons on? Were they creating extra snow? No. So I think it's been an active decision to not use the snow cannons because they are trying to conserve the water levels in the reservoirs and also the energy efficiency as well. They are making a drive to kind of reduce energy consumption. Um, and so the cannons haven't been running. Has that been the same across the other resorts as well in the area? Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, although the temperatures have been very low, I mean, it was a really decent snowfall uh, at that period. And it's a big decision by ski resorts whether to put those cannons on uh, or not. 
Uh, and just because the temperatures are low, typically they put them on, you know, early season and they would have done normally at the start of this season if the temperatures had been low enough. Obviously, we had that kind of flip. You know, they were extremely warm in the uh, autumn and in uh, mid-December and then extremely cold in January. But uh, you're right. I'm trying to remember that word that they have uh, in French for the energy conversa- con- conservation. I think it's sobriety, isn't it? They've got a... a, a, a they call it sobriety. I've seen it mentioned in a number of places, the idea that, you know, overall as a, as a nation, um, France is trying to uh, reduce um, electricity use by about 10% or energy use by about 10% through this winter. I think it will be interesting to see where they end up at the end of the winter as a resort as a whole. I know in the last month, Uh, On the last week, sorry, that a lot of the chalet companies here and hotel owners have started getting their first energy bills through since uh, the the crisis, uh, I say started, but, you know, became a big talking point. And their bills have absolutely skyrocketed in some cases. So it will be interesting to see where the resorts fall out. Um, the Le Plan is quite interesting because we have a biomass chimney as well in Plan Centre. I can actually see from my window here, and that provides a huge amount of the energy for the resort. I forget the actual percentage, but we do use that for running a lot of the buildings and the chairlifts and things in resorts. So I'm hoping, or I'm interested to see how that does actually offset the usage across the whole resort. Right. I mean, that is interesting. Biomass is has how can i put it like a mixed reports it depends very much on exactly uh you know what the wood chip or or whatever it is that people are using and how that's uh sourced um because there are obviously uh, you know emissions uh, related to it but that is that's it that's interesting and you know we're talking about effectively all issues to do with climate change you know what the interesting thing recently is that it's not been you know early in the season the issue was that there was precipitation but it was too warm for it to be snow and we had loads of rain now we haven't had precipitation in the northern hemisphere in in Europe anyway in the states they're obviously having lots of snow and you know whether the the the, the um consequences of climate change are complicated when you were last on the show Jen you were telling us about some of the changes that the resort was planning for higher up you know for the benefit of listeners who didn't listen to that episode you just want to remind us what those changes are up on the glacier and the lifts that are concerned yeah so um le plan obviously we've got a glacier here and that reaches at the moment up to like 3200 meters um but this is the last year that we will have the same setup up there um and they are actually what they're calling it is rewilding the glacier so at the top of the Le Plan Peaks, we've got two glaciers. You've got the Shope Glacier and the Belcott Glacier. And the Shope Glacier is the higher one. And they are stopping the skiing on there, removing all the pylons, removing all the chairlifts and things, and redirecting the skiing towards the Belcott Glacier. And so the peak will still be above 3,000 metres, which I think is like the, the uh, what do you call it, like bragging rights, as it were, that we've still got yeah. skiing above 3,000 metres, but it will be on this different glacier and it will be slightly lower. And they are using sustainability as a reason for doing this and being more climate aware and climate friendly. But I do also think it's quite a savvy maybe business decision because the glacier is melting and the, we, we saw big avalanches through the summer of the permafrost um, and so the glacier, it's not going to be able to be skiable in the same way in the future. Yeah. And you mentioned to me when we were chatting in the green room before the podcast that you were up there uh, recently and you could see some of that change yourself. 
Yeah, so it was very interesting. I went up, I, I don't go up there that often because it is quite a long journey to get all the way up there, but we had family and resorts, so we headed up, especially because it is changing. And it was quite shocking how hot it was up there. So this was last week, so maybe like the 15th or 16th of Feb. And it was incredibly warm up there, as in taking off your hat, taking off your ski jacket. It was it was warm which it really just shouldn't be at 3200 meters in February and you could see that wet sheen on the snow where it's really kind of glistening and you can see the melt and there were quite a few cracks off the pieces uh, of the snow conditions as well so we, it was quite shocking to see how much melt there was up there for kind of mid-February of a season when we still technically have half of the season to go. Yeah, well, one of the points that you um, make there, and I've been thinking about this week, is that uh, you said that the piece, uh, you know, in La Plan are in pretty good condition, considering there hasn't been any snow for over a month now. And, you know, hopefully there will be some snow uh, to come shortly. But what I'm thinking about already is the summer, because last summer, the amount of uh, summer skiing in the uh, Alps was reduced significantly. You know, places that never closed, like uh, Zermatt uh, closed, and other places like uh, Val d'Isere didn't even open at all. And Teen and Ladies Out have very short seasons. And one of that was to do. One of the reasons for that was to do with the high temperatures. But another reason was there wasn't a very good snowfall in the previous season. Um, that must have been twenty one, twenty two. Now I'm looking at this season thinking, right, historic snowfall has got to be a uh, you know relatively low, and that already suggests to me that we could have a continuing problem with summer skiing in the Alps for the summer of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this conversation must be being had in in all the resorts when they're looking towards this summer, because at some point the decision will have to be made as to whether the glaciers will open or what date they will open or will it will it be open to a specific group of people like just for training and not to the public and the things that we saw happening last winter um because that that needs to start being communicated to people sooner rather than later because as a business owner out here as well there's a there's so many small and independent businesses and ski schools and operators that need to know how and what they'll be operating this this coming summer absolutely yeah, well, uh, it, it is um, a complex uh, issue and there are all sorts of, you know, the, the, that conversation about sustainability, climate change, you know, continues the whole time. Um, I have blogged about this on, on Ski Flight Free or, and or elsewhere, but um, we just had the World Championships in Courcheval and Meribel. And one of the most interesting things to me that came out of that was the athletes uh, competing yeah. in FIS races. Um, now over 400 of them have signed an open letter to FITS uh, asking them to take more action in relation to how that World Cup and World Championship circuit is organised. One of the things they point out is that currently, you know, the uh, the circuit starts really early in the autumn and a whole bunch of those races were actually cancelled uh, this year. You know, Soldom 1 and the 2 was cancelled, Zermatt was cancelled, you know, Adelboden when they did start, which is a strip of snow. So one of the things they're suggesting is to shift the calendar so it starts later and finishes later because there is actually snow. And another thing they're suggesting is instead of having events in the States, in North America, then coming to Europe, then going back to North America again. I mean, that's ridiculous because it's adding in loads of extra flights and they could easily reorganize the uh, schedule. So a lot for 
fist to think about uh, there. And, you know, athletes uh, who are taking part in the World Cup circuit obviously have a, you know, have a huge carbon footprint because they're flying around the whole time. And I imagine what their excess baggage, you know, probably uh, uh, is. Um, however, you know, that is their job. And we, we certainly accept that uh, it's not always as straightforward as simply, uh, uh, you know, the flights. Although, you know, research has shown if you're British and you go on a ski holiday, around you know 60 to 80 percent of the carbon footprint of your holiday is in the flight. But anyway, Jen, that's very interesting to uh, talk to you, and I think you know we'll probably check in in the summer and see you know what happens in relation to uh, uh, the glacier uh, as well. But if it's all right, I'm going. We're going to move on to uh, Mike now, who is in uh, Japan. One of the places that's on my bucket list. You know, I don't tend to fly so much. You know, I definitely would love to go skiing in Japan one day. So I have to work out how to get that into my personal uh, carbon uh, budget. But you're based in Niseko uh, at the moment, which is in Hokkaido. Is that correct? That's right. It's in the very northern island of the chain of islands in Japan. um, And we're in the southwest corner. Right, southwest. I did actually look it up on the map uh, earlier, so I've got an idea uh, of that. And and just uh, you know, why why are you there? I mean, I know that you've gone there for many years, and COVID kind of and, and the various rules after COVID put a, a blank on that. But what's your connection to that area? Um, I came here just as a ski instructor in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven season, and just saw the potential um, and saw how good it was. So I've, I've returned every year with the exception of uh, COVID. That's brilliant. How are there any kind of working visa issues or can you just like, uh, you know, can a British person just go to Japan and work just like that? If you're under 30, you can get a working holiday visa like you can get for Australia or Canada. Um, but if you're over 30, then you have to show, uh, for my particular field ski instructor, you have to show three years worth of experience. But that's a tough one because it's actually you have to show three full years. So it's 36 months worth of experience, which is roughly for most people about seven or eight winters. Right. Okay. Well, you've been going out there for uh, for many years. I think you said 2007. So taking out a couple or so for COVID, that's about 15 years worth of skiing in Japan now, which is going to make everyone uh, jealous because we've touched on this before. There's something about the snow in J- Japan known as Japao, you want to give us a, a kind of feeling for why it's special there? Um, it's threefold. It's a triangle of consistency, quality, and quantity. The the quantity, we get about 12 to 13 metres of snowfall at the base area each and every winter. Um, and then the, the quality is light, dry powder snow for most of the time. And uh, But the big factor, and that's why I keep coming back, is the consistency so that people can book six to 12 months in advance knowing that when they come in a seven to 14 day period they're going to have significant snowfall during their visit yeah to me i mean that that appeals hugely because i do get to the alps quite a lot you know i get a you know good amount of skiing in relative to most people but it's patchy you know i can't guarantee i'm going to get uh you know a good snow (laughs) and um i rarely get the opportunity to uh to ski uh powder and um, what what kind of dates would you suggest for Japan for people visiting from the UK or Australia or the states? The the peak season is uh, December and January. That's when we get in snowfall almost every day, um, and then in February we get about four to five days worth of snowfall, and then in March it's down to two to three. 
Excellent. Okay. And you're in um, Niseko, but you don't always ski there. And one of the um, resorts that we discussed is uh, Rusutsu. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. Um, There are a number of resorts in the area um, and my customers have been coming for a long time as well. So we're looking for variety and we're looking for the best conditions that particular day. So Rusutsu is very much on that uh, pathway for me. And and what is it about Rusutsu that makes it, uh, you know, appealing? It's uh, it's not as big as uh, in terms of vertical as the, as the Nisigo Resort area, but it's quite a long resort. So the, the runs themselves are over a couple of kilometres, two to three kilometres uh, per run, which when you're trying to transition from uh, the piste to the island, the fringe skiing and uh, well-gladed trees, then you can have a long run to get into it. And and can I ask you another question? Like in relation to Japan, I was recently reading some uh, posts by Lucy Aston from the uh, Telegraph, who's been out there, and um, she was talking about the sort of politeness and the service that you get. And one of the things she said is that uh, I think for getting on some of the lifts, the actual lifties carry your skis for you. Is that is that does that really happen? In, in some resorts, yes, because um, they know that it's going to be a quicker job for them to load the gondola cars, especially. Um, some of them have been retrofitted for the newer shaped skis, twin tips or wider uh, models. So they know that they, they're doing that on a daily basis so they can do it far quicker. Right. OK. OK, that's interesting. And is it and how are lift tickets price wise? Are they uh, kind of more expensive than Europe, less expensive than the States, something like that? Um, in the mid part, you know, resorts like the Nisigo Resort area and Rizutsu, they're about £50 per person per day uh, for a day ticket. Uh, but if you go to some of the smaller resorts, it goes down to 20 to £30. So comparable to some of the smaller resorts in Europe. Right. OK. And what about on the mountain? Are, you know, mountain restaurants are that kind of similar to, you know, skiing uh, elsewhere? Uh, there are there's restaurants at the base, rest, restaurants at the, at the top of the mountain or some of the mountains, and uh, quite a variety of food, pre- predominantly Japanese, uh, where you can have ramen, which is like a noodle dish, or you can have rice dishes with with vegetables and and uh, meat, um, and then there's, there's burgers and pizzas and those kinds of things as well for the international market, and the prices are around uh, for a main meal, which we, where you'd have uh, the main meal and soup. Um, you're looking at about uh, £15. Right, okay. I, I also read in Lucy's uh, article, there's a lot of uh, vending machines that will sell you uh, food and hot food uh, as well. Is that something you, you commonly see? Yeah, food, uh, hot drinks and food, you can get stuff in vending machines. But to be honest, um, you're better off having it from the uh, from the from the restaurants themselves they're, they're more substantial in size <laughs> right okay and that so you mentioned you're based in this echo you've been uh, to Rizutsu. what about other road trips uh, around uh, Hokkaido are there other resorts that you would you know recommend for someone who's going on a, on a maybe a two-week trip yeah in our area um in the southwest of Hokkaido you've got the Nisigo resort area is the, is the main one then you've got Rizutsu, uh Kiroro and then there's a whole gang of uh, resorts that are in or near Sapporo, the city, the, the capital city, Sapporo Tene, and then you've got Otoro, Otaro Tenguyama and Sapporo Kokosai. And then where people tend to go then is to the, the central area of Hokkaido, uh, to an area called Furano, 
and from Ferrano using that town as a base. You've got Ferrano itself and then a number of different resorts uh, like Tamamu and uh, Kamui, which are resorts. And then the, the big one then is Asahedake, which is a um, a backcountry resort that's lift accessed. Okay. So if you if you wanted to go out there and you you know you don't want to queue and uh, you want to ski that Japao you know the whole time and just you know do do laps um what would your top uh, recommendation be Um at the moment uh, I would say Rizutsu and Kiroro in my area because they don't have the same bed base that the, the Nisigo resort area has or come out later, don't come out in the December and uh, January period. And if you come out in February and March, you'll still get great snow. You'll have a, the, the potential for having sunshine as well as uh, snowfall. And uh, there'll be a lot less people. Right. Okay. And part of that is because, you know, in that earlier period is when it's vacation time in Australia. Like there's a lot of Australians uh, in that area. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And also uh, the newer market. It's coming in with Southeast Asia. Uh, Singapore has their big holiday and if New Year falls, then you'll have the uh, the Hong Kong, mainland China, Taiwan, those kind of uh, groups coming in to celebrate Chinese New Year in and around the, the snow resort. Cool. Okay, well, I mean, that's really interesting. We could do a whole episode uh, on Japan and go into it in more detail, and, and maybe we, uh, we will. Um, you know, in a future uh, podcast. But for now, that's brilliant, Mike. Thank you so much for that. Right, that was really interesting listening to that. Now, uh, regular listeners will know that Mike has appeared with me on uh, the panel at the uh, National Snow Show in Birmingham, where we talked about going off the beaten track. And I kind of went off the beaten track myself uh, this February half term because I went with my family to a resort called uh, Roccarazzo uh, in Italy. Now, it's unusual in the fact that it is uh, not in the Alps. It's actually in a mountain range called the Apennines that run down the middle of uh, Italy. And consequently, uh, the places to uh, fly into are either Rome or uh, Naples. And we flew into Naples. And really uh, a good trip. One of the reasons uh, I chose it, apart from the fact I thought it would be interesting to go somewhere you know, off the beaten track, is that uh, you know regular listeners might know my kids have got their GCSE year this year, so April didn't fit in, uh, and it's very expensive to go skiing in February half term, and you tend to get massive queues over in uh, France, and this was a, a you know a good kind of compromise uh, in between. We actually did four days skiing in a uh, Roccarazzo. Uh, but we also you know, had a look at Naples. We managed to go to Pompeii as well, which is uh, you know literally just down the road uh, from Naples. And uh, Roccarazzo is a two-hour drive from Naples itself. Uh, and the air is is not small. You know, there's a hundred kilometers a piece there, um, which uh, I believe makes it the fifth largest ski area uh, in Italy. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of charm. We're actually staying in a village slightly outside of uh, the ski area like five minutes uh drive maybe 10 minutes drive something like that and we were skiing midweek so there are no queues at all 100 kilometers a piece really uh you know no pressure on the lifts at all relative to what you'd expect in france uh, around that time and just a lot of a lot of charm uh in the area anyway while i was there i did interview the wonderfully named uh, bonaventura margadonna 
who is uh, president of the uh, Alto Sangro ski area. So let's uh, let's just have a, a listen to that. Generalmente il consorzio ha un volume di affari del ticket mm. che sì. noi pagano, non l'indotto. Se moltiplichiamo per mm. 10, il consorzio ha, nella stagione riesce a fare intorno a, dai 10 ai 13.000 euro, 13 milioni di euro. Se io entro a Monte Pratello, che è molto facile entrare, che c'è un chilometro di strada dalla statale, sì. da lì posso partire e andare sì. su tutto il comprensorio. Sì. Però si sta pensando anche perché c'è una volontà del comune di Roccaraso che vorrebbe fare un impianto che arrivi a Pizzano. Sì. Quindi è un altro progetto sì. che, in che potrebbe succedere. Sì. He doesn't speak English, but you probably got there that, uh, you know, his beautifully, beautiful sounding Italian uh, told us a, a number of things like the size of the resort there, the queues, but also that they've got uh, they've had a big investment in lifts over the last few years. Uh, and part of that reason is, that, you know, it, their main audience are people coming from Rome and uh, Naples uh, going for skiing uh, there. And so they have a big investment in snow cannons as well. And we touched on snow cannons. You know, they can generate, uh, you know, a huge amount of snow more than any other resort uh, in Italy. Now, as it was when I was there, skiing was really good. They'd had, like uh, the Alps, a lot of snow uh, just beforehand in mid-January. Uh, and the, the cannons weren't on, the conditions were good, but it was, like Jen said earlier, warming up during half term. And you could kind of see that deterioration um, over the course of the week. It's going to be fine uh, for a while, but, you know, thinning in a couple of uh, places. But, you know, I really, really uh, enjoyed our trip. You know, I always enjoyed going skiing uh, as a family. But uh, you know, really kind of different kind of option where you could mix in the uh, the cultural uh, sides of uh of things uh, as well. So it's in the Abruzzo region of Italy. And if you want to know more about it, just have a Google for Ski Abruzzo. Um, it was actually Fiona who uh, from Ski Abruzzo helped me with those translations uh, from uh, Mr. Margadona. Um, so yeah, that's my trip off the beaten track. Might talk about that at the Birmingham uh, show as well. What was the snow, uh, like what's the altitude like there then? And what were the peace conditions like all over? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. The actual, it's, it's relatively high in terms of the uh, the start of the slopes are about 14, 1300 metres. Uh, so comparable, let's say, with, uh, you know, Latania or um, lower bits of uh, Mirabel, something like that. Uh, but it only goes up to 2100 at the highest point. So it's not a huge vertical drop uh, overall. But the snow conditions, you know, were, were, uh, were good. You know, they actually had in those north facing slopes some really, really good snow. There wasn't I tried the off piece and there was it was a bit windswept. You know, there are a few patches. But when you got that kind of breakable crust, it's not really any good. Most of the week I was skiing on piste. Yeah, I find that interesting because I think the snow conditions are, are pretty great on piste around the resorts at the moment. But when I talk to a lot of holiday makers, they are not as positive as I am about the snow conditions because they're really they want that off piste mm. and that fresh powder and that's why it's so interesting listening to Mike talk about Japan and mm. how reliable those snow conditions are and that you could book now for next year and be pretty reassured that you're going to have incredible snow conditions like that I can just see that so appealing to people yeah it's tempting tempting for sure uh, isn't it yeah. yeah I mean it depends what you're looking for I knew for this holiday realistically uh being with the kids that we didn't need to go you know off piece mm. it's on piece for them they're kind of you know intermediates advanced intermediates uh, Mike 
Yeah, I mean, it, it looks very appealing. It's been on my radar for a, a, a period of time because uh, with the Six Nations rugby on, uh, depending <laughs> depending when it falls and who's playing, um, my partner and I have been looking to go and see Wales play Italy in Rome and then combine it with a holiday and rather than travel back up to the Alps, we've looked at that area there and a little bit further north from there, which is the Grand Sasso National Park. And there's a couple of resorts in that area too. And we, 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 we did it uh, a few years ago where we went to Verona uh, halfway through the holiday because it was over the Easter Sunday. So instead of queuing with everybody else for the, the weekend, we went to Verona for a couple of days and then came back to the slopes afterwards. So it is a, a great mix if you can combine a city break with a ski holiday. Yeah, for sure. And in fact, we stayed with friends uh, in Naples for a couple of nights and they went up to Rome to watch uh, England, uh, Italy. The timings worked out on the uh, the weekend that we were leaving. And, you know, in terms of combining things, I mean, my son and I went along to see uh, uh, Napoli play football in the uh, Diego Armando Maradona Stadium on the uh, Sunday night, which is just brilliant, you know, really great way of uh, getting into the uh, the local culture. Right, we are the ski podcast and not the rugby uh, podcast, so we're going to we're going to move on. I'm just going to briefly mention that um, I tested and used the carve uh, for the first time. I've mentioned this before in previous uh, uh, podcasts. The carve is a, a, a device, basically a footbed that goes into your uh, boots and gives you a huge amount of detailed information about your skiing. And I hadn't used it, although I had it, I hadn't used it on a couple of my previous trips because I was mainly ski touring and doing off-piste, but I knew I would be on-piste for this particular trip. And and this, I'm going to discuss that in full detail in the next episode, episode 171, when Al Morgan will be joining us uh, again. But um, you can have a look on Twitter if you want to see what my, what my scores were, because that was really interesting. Right, we're going to move on briefly to Team GB. Uh, since our last podcast, uh, lots of things have happened. Our bobsleigh team picked up silver in the World Championships, which I think is their first medal since the 1930s. Uh, very uh, encouraging and well done to them. Jasmine Taylor, who's been on the podcast uh, many times uh, before, uh, she is a telemarker. She got her first podium of the uh, season. Uh, Charlotte Banks, uh, Snowball Cross, she got uh, more than one World Cup uh, win in since our last podcast. She was in Cortina. And uh, listen, if you'd like to uh, hear an interview with her, we talked to her back in 2018. So just have a Google for that. We also had World Cup podiums uh, in Ski Slope Style for Kirsty Muir and Big Air for Zoe Atkin over in the States. Uh, and World Championships, I mentioned that earlier, alpine skiing took place uh, in Mirabel and Courcheval. There were no medals for uh, Team GB there, but the Freestyle World Championships are taking place right now in Georgia. Uh, uh, I'm going to attempt the resort name back. Baku Irani. I'm going to try that. Baku Irani in Georgia. Wouldn't surprise me, Mike, if you've been there. Is that right? I've not been to that particular resort. I've been to Gadawri, which is near Tbilisi, but Georgia's got uh, a number of great mountains and a number of great resorts. Very much worthwhile going. Excellent. Well, um, I, it would be a huge surprise if we didn't, uh, or if Team GB didn't pick up, you know, uh, um, medals during the rest of the week. I think the main events are starting probably today, or if you're listening to this uh, uh, tomorrow. Right, we're just going to move on to uh, feedback now. Uh, I enjoy all feedback about the show. Uh, I really like to know what listeners uh, think and if you have ideas for features, etc. So please contact me uh, on social at the Ski Podcast or via email, the ski podcast at gmail.com. I've got a few bits of uh, feedback. 
Uh, Laura Hargrave uh, said, I love the feature on van life in episode 167. Also 167, Ian West said, uh, um, I love the refuge stay in the Three Valleys. You can tell you enjoyed it. Uh, Judy Matthews said, keep the episodes coming. It's a wonderful listen. I've got a few of my friends hooked onto it too. Thanks for that, Judy. If you want to do something to help the show, you can always give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We've actually had three more recently. Uh, GWRC00 (laughs) said, love this podcast. Always good to listen to all things ski related throughout the year, especially when the ski holidays seem so far off. Lots of different articles with some really useful and interesting content. Enjoy Ian's hosting and all the guests. Also, there's a great back catalogue to work your way through. Totally recommended. Well, thank you for that five star review. It's really appreciated. And as you say, there's a lot of episodes to catch up with. We actually have uh, over 170 now to catch up with. 123 we listened to in the last week. And I had a quick look at where people are listening. The majority of us listeners are in the UK, but we have some in the US, Australia, Canada. But I also noticed on the list that Iceland and El Salvador. So if you are our listener or listeners in Iceland and El Salvador, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And don't forget to subscribe, listener, so you don't miss an episode. Finally, if you enjoy the pod, you can always buy me a coffee at DWIB said, thanks for doing what you do. It's a highlight of the day when the pod goes up and very kindly bought me a coffee, which you can do at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Now you can follow me at, at Skipedia and the podcast at the ski podcast on social. But for now, I'd like to thank Le Trois Valais for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today. Uh, Jen, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always great to come on and have a chat with you and talk ski, snow and all things winter. Excellent. That's brilliant, Jen and Mike. Thank you to you for joining us in Japan. Right. I think we've lost Mike. He's probably been snowed under. So finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.